All right. Well, as you make your way back to their seats, I just want to introduce Jeremy Simpkins. I know for um, some of you, it might be the first time that you've actually got to meet Jeremy. And so Jeremy uh, lives in England and helps oversee our family of churches that are called Christ Central. And Jeremy first started coming to our church in Fredericton back in 2009 and was in here most years in between. But obviously, due to everything in the last couple of years, it's been four years since Jeremy's been able to be with us. It was 2019 the last time. And so, Jeremy, we're thrilled that you're here, and we welcome you and come and share God's word with us this morning. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. It's, it's brilliant to be here. And uh, what an amazing facility, the grace of God. Uh, Just want to make sure we hear you. Okay, the light's on. Oh, yep, yeah, you're good. The light's on, nobody's at home. <laughs> I think we were here four years ago, and uh, Joe somehow managed to get the keys to this place four years ago and showed me around, and you think, oh my word, this is going to be a big project. And uh, what faith, and just to see you guys in here, uh, just to sense the presence of God, uh, to see what God's doing amongst you is so exciting, it's so thrilling. Uh, it's so great for me to be able to bring my friend Warren, here. Warren's a new friend of ours and I wanted him to introduce him to you because I believe God's doing something across the Americas and uh, we wanted to encourage that. Warren's from the States, from Lebanon, Oregon and uh, we've also got churches as you know in Mexico. Cheer for Mexico. And we have new churches that we're working with in Bolivia and Costa Rica as well. So I feel God's doing something across the Americas. And sometimes I think the temptation has been to look east or west, you know, kind of look across the pond, to look east, to look to, oh, what's that, west, isn't it? I, I always get my east and west. I get my lefts and rights muddled up. Look, see, last night that was my biggest problem. I genuinely don't know which is left and right. And we played this... We played this silly game, and uh, I, I get confused with lefts and rights, and then running a, we ran, I had to run across the room, and I just literally, this body is 60 years old this year, but it, it's 16 inside, and I wanted to run as a 16-year-old across the room, and the 60-year-old body didn't catch up with the 16-year-old, and I crashed into Angela, but we're okay. Who fell? I fell down. She took me out. <laughs> so, is that west? Is that is it east? East to the UK? East, yeah, okay. So the, the temptation is to look east, isn't it? To, the temptation is, you know, to look that way. But actually, I think God's calling you to look up and down. And I think there's something new happening in the Americas. And I just want you to get a sense of that. It'd be great for Warren to share tonight. Please come to the prayer meeting tonight. I hear his heart, hear what God's doing, and hear what God's doing in Mexico. There's been tragedy in Mexico, which we'll share a bit about tonight. But there's actually been fresh birth, fresh life. Something new has come up out of a tree that's fallen. Suddenly, new things are emerging, and God's doing new things. I think it's so exciting. So if you've got your Bibles... Uh, I, wanna, I felt God speak to me uh, this last couple of weeks about bringing a pastoral word to you. And uh, Normally I would kind of do a let's go to the nations, let's church plant, let's go. But I felt God say, no, actually what they need is to hear a pastoral word. They need to hear a word about Jesus, which is kind of, we always need to hear a word about Jesus, don't we? So if you've got a Bible, uh, Mark gave a great sigh when I said it's from Ephesians. Uh, and I think, I think that's just echoed in the room now. But the good thing is, I know Mark's been preaching for 45 years through the book of Ephesians. Oh, no. Or, or was it? No. Sorry, it was 
It was four to five years, that's right, uh, through, through the book of Ephesians. So because, because this is chapter one, you'll have forgotten it anyway. So <laughs> He's still in chapter one. <laughs> Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, eat your heart out. It's like, uh, good. I <laughs> if you've got your Bible, so I'm just going to pull out a few verses, and I don't need to do any contextualization, because Mark obviously has done that brilliantly. But this is the book of Ephesians, and it's Paul's prayer. You know, what would Paul, the great apostle, what would he pray for you? And it's interesting, you know, we come from a movement that's all about going to the nations, it's all about church planting, it's all about new things. But actually, Paul never writes to a church and says, I'm praying for you that you go to the next town, I'm praying for you that you'll go to the nations, I'm praying for you that you'll church plant in the next city. No, those things are important, that's what they did. But what he prays for is something different. He prays for this, and we're going to look in verse 17 to 19. I keep asking, this is his prayer, I keep asking, keep on asking. He's persistent. I keep on asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the Spirit, just notice how Trinitarian this is already, Father, Son, and Spirit. He may give you the Spirit, and in the NIV that I'm reading, it's capital S, I think it is in the uh, ESV, kind of means it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you might know him better. I also pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And it's so hard to know where to stop with this passage because it really is just one great long sentence, but I'm going to stop there because I'm only going to focus on a couple of verses. And I feel God wants to say to you primarily, he wants you to know who you are in Christ and he wants you to know your inheritance in Christ And he wants to open your spiritual eyes. I believe the whole key of the book of Ephesians is understanding who we are as a community. It's the church. It's not just individual understanding. It's community understanding who we are in Christ. Paul, when he writes to churches over a hundred times, refers to that phrase, in Christ. It's his favorite description of the Christian that we've been taken out of something, out of an Adamic race, out of the world, out of the kingdom of darkness, and we've been rooted now, planted in to Christ, joined with him organically, so that now we are in him, and we are no longer separated from him. We're joined forever into him. We are in Christ. And he wants you to know that. I mean, that is your identity. So you've You've changed addresses here. What's New Brunswick Street now, Clark Street? You've changed addresses, but you haven't changed address. You're in Christ. And sometimes we draw our identity from other things. You know, people, well, I, I'm a husband, or I'm a, I'm a father, or uh, I'm a wife, or I'm a mother, or I'm a son, or I'm a daughter, or I'm an auntie. Or I'm, I, you know, we have family relationships that we identify ourselves with. That's who I am. Or we might say, well, I'm a Canadian, or I'm a Mexican. We have national identities. We might have, even have broken identities. That's so great what Bronwyn shared earlier. But sometimes you can take idea, oh, I'm just a broken person. I'm the addicted one. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the sinner. 
I'm the failure. Get our identity from that. Sometimes we get our identity in leadership. I'm the pastor. I'm the prophet. I'm the apostle. I'm the small group leader. I'm the welcomer on the door. I'm the youth. You know, we get our identity from what we do. And none of those things are, are wrong. But our true identity is knowing who we are in Christ. And you know that, but sometimes you need to re-know it. You need to relearn it. You need to have your eyes. Paul says, I pray that your eyes, your spiritual eyes, we have natural eyes and we have spiritual eyes. Pray that they might be open today. And sometimes you don't know what you've got. You just don't know until God opens your eyes to it. I heard this story. You've probably heard me tell this story before. It's a true story of the richest man in the world that was in the last century. His name was William Randolph Hearst. He was an American, unfortunately. We won't go there. <laughs> I can say that here, Warren. <laughs> in fact, we, we, do say it. we do say it everywhere, apart from the States. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all Americans. We're all Americans. I know that, yes. We're all Americans. Even, even the Mexicans are Americans. So get myself into trouble. William Randall Hearst, a newspaper tycoon, richest man in the world in his day, sort of Bill Gates kind of figure. And uh, he was a great art collector. He loved artwork. And in, found, in fact, he found his identity in art. He, he was rich, but he actually enjoyed beautiful paintings. He surrounded himself with beauty. And then one day, in one of his own magazines, because he published newspapers and magazines, in one of his own magazines, he saw a print of a painting that just took his breath away. And it was a little bit like the Pearl of Great Price. Do you remember that story in the Bible? If only I had that one, my life would be complete. In fact, I'd probably sell everything, like that pearl merchant. I'd give it all away to get that one. This painting puts all the others in the shade. This is the one that I want. So he gathered all his art critics. He gathered all his buyers and sellers. He gathered all the people that he'd been working with over the years and says, look, this is the one that I want. I don't care what measure you go to to get this one painting. This is the one that I, I will find my peace. I'll find my joy. I'll find everything in this one painting. Go and find this. So they went off and searched and searched and searched and searched. And they came back and said, well, We've got some good news, and we've got some bad news. He goes, okay, tell me the good news. We found it. We found the painting. He said, what's the bad news? You can't buy it. He said, oh, whoa, 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 you don't understand. Richest man in the world, I can buy anything I like. No, they said, no, you don't understand. You can't buy it because we'll tell you where we found it. In your vaults dusty, you own it already. But you've never enjoyed it. You've never brought it out. It's already yours. Now, that's our inheritance in Christ sometimes. It's already ours. It's in our vaults. It's who we are, but we don't bring it out and enjoy it. And we search for something. People are just on the search, aren't they? They search for significance, the search for the latest kick, the search for the latest high, the search for the latest, you know, you buy something and you feel happy for five minutes, and, and it, oh no, it's the next thing, it's the next thing, it's the bigger TV, it's the bigger this, it's the, if I can only go on that holiday, if I can only marry that person, and it doesn't satisfy, because actually the only thing that satisfies is knowing who we are in Christ and our relationship 
to Jesus. And the truth is, you don't need to search for it. You've already got it. And Paul's praying here, open their eyes, Lord. Let them see the inheritance. Let them see the mystery. Let them see the wonder of it. I believe that God wants to open the eyes of your heart, that you might understand and that you might know him and you might be friends with him and that you might enjoy intimacy and fellowship and friendship with him. Our, our Christ Center, and, and I, I'm getting worried about Joe for also many reasons. <laughs> he forgot a date in the car the other day. I mean, I, 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 I said, who are you and what have you done with Joe Crummy? He pretends he did it just to make us feel better, but you know. I can't remember why, I was telling, why I'm telling you that story. <laughs> I really can't. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. Um, I, I always make this offer. I always make this offer. I made it in Warren's church. I always made this offer. In New Frontiers, we have these values, and Terry Virgo came up with the magic figure of 17 values, and no one's ever yet being able to tell me what the 17 values are because they're not that memorable on their own. And I've even offered money, and, and I'm just slightly worried that Joe might be the one who, who kind of gets it. Um, but I'm withdrawing that offer right now in Jesus' name, <laughs> in case he does. But we kind of boiled our values down, those 17. We kind of boiled them down. We reduced them, not in power, but it just in memory to four values that we're friends who enjoy the grace of God together. We're building churches empowered by word and spirit. We're advancing the kingdom of God to change the world, transform society. And we're going to the nations to make disciples. Those three words, friends, church, kingdom, nation, they're, they're our kind of values, if you like. But that first one's the most important. We're friends who are enjoying God together. And that's the chief end of mankind. The Westminster Shorter Catechism famously defines the chief end of mankind is to know God and to enjoy him forever. That's not to get stuff. It's not to be somebody. It's not to have larger churches. It's not to plant and have movements. It's not to go to... It's to enjoy him. Now, we get to do all that other stuff, but the most important thing is to know him. So I keep asking... It's like we keep needing to remind ourselves of these things. And you might say, well, we know this stuff. Mark's preached through Ephesians and preached through Ephesians and preached through Ephesians. We know this stuff, but do you know it? See, the trouble is with us, Western world, and I appreciate there are people here from other settings and you bring more insight, because in our Western world, we think we know something if we know it. Kind of obvious, isn't it? I know a fact if I know it. Well, biblically, it's very different. Knowing is not about intellectual assent to a fact. Knowing is experience. Let me give you the classic, without offending you. The classic one is Adam knew his wife. Now, it kind of has connotations of experiencing his wife. You won't go there. You just did. <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't mean, oh, that's Eve and that's a hippopotamus. You know, I, I can kind of tell the difference. No, it means he knew her. He, had, he, he was into, it, there, was, there was relationship. And Jesus wants us to know him, to have relationship with him, to have intimacy with him, to be his friend. And that, I believe, is what God 
wants to speak to us about today. And Jesus said, you're blessed not if you know these things, but if you do them. And you're blessed not if you know about God, but if you know God. You're blessed not if you know the facts about Jesus, but if you personally know him as a community and as individuals within that community. And I believe Jesus is the key to knowing God. Let me give you some scriptures. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets. Great. But now, in these last days, he speaks through his son. He reveals Jesus to us. Jesus himself said, John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life. He's praying to God, but he's praying out. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. To know God is to know Jesus. And I believe that's the whole heart of Christianity, to know him. Not know about him, but to know him. Paul, this is the message uh, paraphrase of Philippians 3, and it's such a, I mean, it's a bit blunt in the message, so I apologize, but this is what the message says about Philippians 3. All the things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life, compared to the high privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as master firsthand, everything I once thought had going for me is insignificant dog dung. <laughs> That's the message for you. Now, actually, the word in Greek is excrement, so it's kind of, I mean, actually, dog dung is slightly nicer than what he's really talking about. Like, but that's it. He's saying, that, that was my life before. That was all the things that I thought were important, my education, my abilities, my position, my, my, my ethnic heritage, all that I once thought was important. You imagine, you know, Lord, I'm just bringing you this offering. <laughs> it's wonderful. I found it on the street. It's just wonderful. I'm bringing it to you. It's, it's, who, you know, it's my education. It's my ability. It's my ethnicity. You know, I'm this bright, attractive Canadian. I'm just bringing it to you. And God says, that's not important. In fact, put that away, please. It goes on to say, I've dumped that in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. The only thing that matters is loving Jesus. The only thing that matters is embracing him and being embraced by him. So let's have a look at this passage. Because sometimes we find our identity in other things. I know I do. It's tempting to find my identity in what I do. It's tempting to find my identity in traveling. It's tempting, I mean, COVID stripped all that away. I mean, it's just nothing. From a full schedule, the first thing that went was April 2020, which was a trip here. First thing. And I, I talked to my neighbor, who's a doctor, and I said, oh, this COVID thing, it'll be over in a couple of weeks, won't it? I, I'll still be going to Canada. She says, I don't think you will. <laughs> I think it's going to last a bit. I said, I'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be over in a couple of weeks. You know, trust me, I'm, I'm a pastor. You know, it's God, God's, God's, God's with me. You know, God, God's not going to stop his global purposes that I'm graciously propping up for him. And you found that God didn't need me. And it didn't need my ministry. And in fact, during the pandemic, I found my ministry was nothing. But my relationship with Jesus just started to grow again, afresh. I guess some of this stuff is coming out of that. But I thought, I found my identity in that. But Lord, I should be really finding my identity to you. So just to say two things out of this passage, really. We get to know him in two ways. I keep asking... 
And I think this is about word and spirit. It's about Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming to us. And revelation. Now, it's all Trinitarian. But if you kind of study it, there's something about wisdom that is about Jesus. And I think this is about word and spirit. It's about Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming to us. If you study 1 Corinthians, it keeps contrasting worldly wisdom with true wisdom. And we don't preach worldly wisdom, Paul says. We're not not that wise. They want us to be wise and to be a philosopher. We don't preach that. We preach Christ and him crucified, which is foolishness to those who want wisdom, but actually it's the true wisdom of God. And he goes on to say it's more than just facts. It's more than just information. True wisdom is a person. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Notice that another in Christ Jesus who has become the wisdom of God for us. Jesus is the wisdom of God. The world is seeking wisdom Actually, the wisdom of God, truth, is Jesus. He came saying, I, he didn't come saying, I've got a few truths I'd like to share with you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the wisdom of God. And you could do studies in Proverbs and find out that wisdom is a person. He, with the writer of the Proverbs personifies wisdom as a person, and it's an echo of who Jesus is. He is the wisdom of God. He is the truth of God. He's come to you. And the word, he is the word of God. He speaks truth. John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And I think this is such a simple message. I'm basically going to be saying, read your Bible and receive the Spirit. It's simple. It's simple. It really is. It's not complicated. Read the Bible. See, how does he come to us? See, he comes to us in the Word. Now, what we've made this is we've either made it medicine. And who likes taking medicine? I mean, Wilf and I were laughing at breakfast. I've got a pill for this and a pill for that and a pill for this and one for luck. You know, it's like... (laughs) And it's like, oh yeah, this is the one for luck. You know, we just take, we'll take our daily medicine. We'll, it, you know, it, it doesn't particularly taste good, but I'm sure it's doing me good. Better keep reading it. It's daily medicine. Or it kind of like, it's the manual for life. If you heard that analogy, it's the instruction book, you know, the sort of manual to run to, to your car, you know, those old manuals that used to have, and it's, oh yeah, the manual. It's really, who reads the manual for pleasure? I mean, who reads the manual? <laughs> I don't. I mean, who, Wilf does. Oh, Joe does. That, I believe. Who re- when you install your new software, when there's a new update, and it says, first of all, you have to agree to all these... Condi- who reads those? Joe does. No, he doesn't. No one. You just click it. You click it. We're, we're, I'm a, we're all liars. Because you have to say, I've read it. You have to say, press that button and say, nobody reads it. You just click it and say, and, and you think that's, some of just how we see the Bible is, you know, it's just instructions, it's just a bit boring. You don't really read it, just tick and say, I've read it. Done my daily. No, this is life. This is Jesus. God has appeared, and he's appeared in a book. He is the word of God, and for us, the word isn't just 
black dots on a white page, or if you're really spiritual, a few red dots thrown in, you know, whoa, they're the words of Jesus. No, they're not. This is all the word of Jesus. Not just the red ones, the black ones. It's him. It's God breathed. It's God speaking. I think I want to say, I feel God say, I want you to have a different attitude to the Bible. I want you to understand it. It's a love letter. It's him breathing. It, it came God breathed, and he wants to breathe life into you. I just love the last couple of days with Warren. Every time I've been in a meeting with Warren, he's got up and said, oh, I was reading my Bible this morning, and God spoke to me and said, so he didn't say, I'll take him a medicine. <laughs> I had to read the manual. No, God spoke. And he did it again this morning. I mean, I love it. God, I, I, I do the Bible in one year with Nicky Gumbel. I, I'd encourage you to do that app. It's brilliant. You can have lovely Nicky speaking over you. And Poirot, David Suchet, you know, speaking the Bible. It's all posh. And, but it's, it's just, I, re, I imbibe it. And this morning, he spoke to me. This morning was the psalm, and it'll, I'll, I'll end with this. No, I won't end now, but I, I, I will end. Yeah. There will be an ending. There will be a day. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it might be this morning. <laughs> that, that, that's the only promise. But it was this. It was, and I'll end with it. Be still and know. I thought, oh, God, you're sp- this is not just luck. Oh, that's lucky. I'm speaking on that, and look, it's, no, it's him speaking. See, when I was a student, uh, I, we, we lived in Brighton, and we were in this big old house, and I was engaged, I was freshly engaged to Anne, and by the way, she sends her love, she says, sorry, she can't be this trip, she will come again, and uh, we were freshly, you know, engaged, and very, very much in love. We've got all the letters somewhere, because they're I mean, you don't write letters these days. Who, you know, anyone engaged here? Anyone? You know, do you write letters anymore? It's all texts and emails and what. But we didn't have any of that stuff. We had pen and paper, and we wrote letters. I mean, every day we wrote letters. Every day, letters, letters, letters. Just you wrote a letter every day. So because I was in Brighton, she was in Hastings, 40 miles away. We only saw each other once a month or so. Like wrote letters. I remember writing these letters, and but I can remember the joy of the postman posty, inappropriate to say postman these days, but it always was in those days. <laughs> the postman coming in the morning, and it was early in the morning in those days, and you could hear the thud of the letter, or letters, on the door, on the sort of doormat. And I used to run downstairs. I remember the excitement of running downstairs and looking. I recognised Anne's handwriting immediately. There was other letters. There was nine lads in the flat. They all had letters. But I, mine was from Anne. And well, I grab the letter, open it, check the bottom first, just in case you dump me. You know, that <coughs> <coughs> it's okay. It's not. A de- Do you know what a dear John letter is? <coughs> well, it wasn't one of those. Check that first, but then it's not like, oh well. Now I've got to do my daily medicine. Now I've got to do the manual of love. Now I've got to read it through. No, I read it, and I read every word. And I, I tried to even. I wonder. I tried to read it in her voice. I tried to read, what's she really saying? What's behind, oh, what's behind, what's this and what's that? And what's really going on? And, and I read it again. I kept it with me all day. And then I kept taking it out, nipped the loo, take the letter and read it again. But I didn't want people to think, because I'm, you know, supposed to be a tough 20-year-old. But no, I, I love, this is great. She's, she's speaking to me. Listen, this is a love letter. Change your attitude to this. 
He loves you. He's speaking to you. I love what Bronwyn brought. You know, she, she brought this thing it, about the brokenness, but actually she said, don't fear, I love you. That's what she kept saying. Don't fear, I love you. I'm going to strengthen you. It's all about, I love what Gabby brought about this. Yeah, I come home for... Yeah, we really knew what she was saying, didn't we, Gary? <laughs> come home for spicy food. <laughs> Not this bland stuff, but spicy Mexican food. <laughs> we knew what she was saying. But we know what she was saying here. I come here for the presence. I've come. He's here. He speaks. So I've come home. Listen, is that how you view this? Is that how you view this? Come back afresh to Jesus. Come receive Jesus in the Word of God. Now, it, the, it brings power. When you know somebody loves you, it changes everything, doesn't it? And when you know these words are spoken with love, not condemnation. I love when John sees his best friend Jesus in the book of Revelation and falls down as though dead. He said he had eyes of blazing fire. It's like those eyes could look right into you. But they were not eyes of condemnation. They were eyes of love and mercy. And that's what he speaks to you. See, the very words that he brings, brings power for you to change. Brings power into your life brings change in your, I want change. What we need is the words of Jesus. See, Jesus said this, because it all is out of a motivation of love. He said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's like live right. But we go, live right, live right. Don't do that, do this. Now listen, if you love me, live right. I didn't have any other girlfriends when I was in love with Anne that didn't even cross my mind nobody had to say no Jeremy when you're engaged don't go out with the other girls it's kind of not good no, I didn't even look at the other, the other they, they didn't get a look in because I was looking there I was in love with her and love if you love me if you receive his love you get power to be armoured like Bronwyn was saying you get power that your brokenness turns into strength if you love. I'll tell you about a couple of friends. I've probably told you this story before. There's a girl I was at school with, a good friend of mine. I brought her to church, actually. It's another one of those stories I was telling the youth last night about bringing someone to church, bringing someone to faith. Brought her to church. And uh, we had a young man at this church. And I can tell you the story. His name was John. Probably should make his name up, really, but his name really was John. Uh, uh, his name was Jim, and, uh, <laughs> and he was one of those... Now, I know there's nobody like this here. I know this doesn't happen in Canada. But you know some of those young men that you don't really want to raise their arms next to you? What's that? Oh, oh yeah, I know what that is. And, and John just didn't have great personal hygiene. And uh, we kind of encouraged him. You know, at Christmas, we buy him things like shampoo deodorant. We had little words with him, John, you're never going to get a girl if you dress like that, if you don't shave, if you don't like, dress up a bit, if you don't just smother and smell, if you don't, you know, just wash occasionally. Yeah. Please, John, you know, and he was just a young guy. And we tr it's like the law couldn't change him. It's like our, our, our words couldn't change him. Our actions couldn't change him. And then one day, my friend who I brought, Joe, uh, no, no, Daphne. Um, 
No, Joe walked into the meeting and John saw her. Next time, next Sunday, he arrived smelling like a drugstore. <laughs> I mean, he, I, I've never seen somebody scrub up so well, hair combed, face shaved, smelling beautiful like the garden. Why? In all our effort, I couldn't change him. But one glimpse had changed his heart. One look of love had changed his appearance. Dear friends, it's when we hear him speak. One glance from him, one look from him, one word from him. And this is what you can have every day as you read it, read through. He speaks, he delivers, he sets free. He brings love into our life. The second point is this. It's word and spirit. It's also a spirit of wisdom, which I think is about Jesus, contextually, but a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And when the Bible talks about revelation, opening your eyes, seeing something, being revealed to you, that's actually a work of the Holy Spirit. And God has poured out, it says in Romans 5, verse 5, God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Spirit. See, it's the work of the Son and the Spirit working together into our hearts. And God pours his love into our hearts by the Spirit. Because sometimes you think, I just need Jesus. Well, actually, you also need the Spirit of Jesus. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit starts to bring revelation. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 to 13, As it is written, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These things God reveals to us by the Spirit. The Spirit reveals truth. The Spirit, so I want to encourage you, keep receiving the Spirit as you worship, as you delight in him. Say, come Holy Spirit, fill me again. Bring revelation of God's love to my heart. Shed it abroad in my heart. Paul prays here, the eyes of my heart might be opened. Not the eyes of my head. We're too cerebral. We're too westernized. We want the eyes of our heads to be open. No, God has shed the love of God in our hearts by the Spirit. He wants your heart inflamed with the love of God by the Holy Spirit. And the more you receive the Spirit, people used to say this, if I receive the Spirit, will I get odd? <laughs> I mean, I've actually had people ask me that. I guess they looked at me. <laughs> and I go, no, but you will get to be more like Jesus. Now, have a look at Jesus. He kind of didn't conform to all the norms of his society. Some would say it was a bit odd. <laughs> but you'll get more like Jesus. You receive the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. He gives gifts of the Spirit to you. He gives fruit to behave like Jesus. He gives the gifts to be empowered to live like Jesus. He makes us like Jesus. We become, guess what? Christ central. Because the Spirit comes now. We need more of the Spirit, not less. We need to worship Him more, not less. We need to receive Him more, not less. We need to come to prayer meetings tonight more, not less, to receive from Him, to get more and more of the Holy Spirit. I worry sometimes, if I'm honest with you, about our movement. Even New Frontiers, if I can say that. I worry sometimes that what was once birthed in the Spirit, what was once started in the Spirit, 
What was once energized in the spirit is now carrying on by good performance, good platform ministry, nice buildings, nice lights. We haven't got a smoke machine yet, but you know, we will. It's like, uh, no, this is all great. Don't hear me wrong. I started off by praising you for this building, but this isn't it. This is it. This is it. This is the, it's the spirit that's it. It's, it's when one beautifully speaks in tongues and another gives a beautiful interpretation. It's when one brings a prophecy and it opens up. It's when one reads the scripture. It's a one anothering of this together, the body building itself up in love. It's the spirit amongst us, the Holy Spirit amongst us. Friends, let's not lose the spirit. You're not, but let's not. I know I'm preaching to the choir and I'm speaking to the converted, but let's not lose and sometimes we just compare ourselves to a church down the road that has less than we have. And we go, oh, we're a bit better than them. They don't have any tongues and interpretation and prophecy and they don't pray for one another. We're better than them. Well, whoever said we should be better than them? That's, that's, we're, not com- compa- we're not comparing ourselves to anyone. We're receiving the Spirit afresh. Dear friends, my passion for our Christ Central churches is that we come back to seeking His presence. I was so struck, I read it recently in my readings, Exodus 33, I've preached it many times before, but Moses before God, Moses said, I'm fed up with this lot. <laughs> oh, God says, I'm fed up with this lot. And it's kind of a bit of a test for Moses, because God actually loves them, they're the apple of his eye, really. And Moses says, and he says to Moses, tell you what, I'll cut you a deal, mate. I shouldn't say mate in this country, friend, sorry. Cut you a deal, friend. He says, I'll go, I'll, I'll send an angel with you, Moses, but I just won't go myself. I'll send an angel. How about that? How's the deal? You know, I'm thinking, wow, angel? I can think of the TV series, I can think of the book, The Day the Angel Came With Me. The day I met the angel, the, the, angel, the angelic visitations. The day, oh, angels, wow. And he says, I don't want angels. I want you, Lord. I want you to be with me. It's great. Angels are fine, but I want you. I want your presence. And if your presence doesn't go with me, if the, I mean, he's not using our language, but if the Holy Spirit isn't being put, I don't want it. I don't want it at all. I don't want empty religion. I don't want dry meat. I want God. I want the Spirit. I want your presence, Lord, with me. Let's just bring it into land now. That verse that I felt this morning, God spoke to me, be still. And no. And I feel God would say to you, Christ Central, God would say to us, Christ Central, slow down. Be still. And know. And experience. I think God's going to speak. See, it's not, as Elijah found out, it's not in winds and hurricanes and thunder and lightning. Very, very frightening. <laughs> that he speaks, it's in the slow whisper. And we sometimes get impressed by the thunder and the lightning. We get impressed by the clouds and the storms. But it's quiet, it, in quietness, and, in, and he's going to give strength and confidence. He's going to, in quietness. I, think, I felt God speak to me this morning. He's, he's going to speak loads more about Halifax to you. Loads more. But it's not, oh, God, 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 church plan. No, it's in quietness. It's in stillness. It's in being still. It's in his presence 
as we look into his face and hear his voice, he's going to speak loads about all sorts of things. One of the symptoms of our society, and we've learned nothing through the pandemic, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank God that's over. Well, there was something to be learned through it about slowing down, about pace. If you ask the average person, they'll say, I'm so busy. If you ask the average New Frontiers church pastor, how's it going? Oh, I'm so busy. Not like I was two years ago, I was resting. Oh, I'm busy now, busy, 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 traveling again, busy, busy, busy. And, and you could also be busy doing nothing, by the way. You could be busy watching the television. You could be busy in your sport and your hobby and your leisure. You can be busy in your recreation. You can be busy, busy, busy. But he wants us to stop and rest and hear. And I love the image. It's interesting, Warren didn't know what I was going to speak on this morning, but I've written it all down here. You can see it if you want, not making it up. <laughs> I felt the image of a garden for you. So often, God speaks about a garden. It started in a garden. It's going to end up in a garden city. And so often, the imagery of love in the Bible is about resting in a garden. I'll give you some verses. Song of Solomon 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree amongst the forest is my lover. I delight to sit in his shade. It's like sitting in the garden. Do you delight to sit in his shade? Oh, no, I'm busy. I'm Martha. I'm busy in the kitchen. I'm doing stuff. Jesus, don't you know I'm serving you? Tell that woman who's sitting there, I'm doing all the work. And Jesus, you know, you'd think Jesus would say, yes, it's really good to serve, Mary. I know you've heard a lot of teaching now. But actually, go and serve. We should be servants, you know. Haven't I told you to be servants? Good, you know, go and serve. No, he says, Martha, there's lots of things to do. We can busy ourselves with lots of things. They're all good things. But, but there's one thing that's required. There's one thing. And Mary's chosen it. To sit at my feet, to gaze at my beauty, and to hear from me. And you get that in the imagery of a garden. Now, I'm not saying go and have nice, and, and go and have nice yards. You know, I've, I've got to speak the, the lingo here, haven't I? Although, my friends, when I talk to them about this, I say, so you call it a yard, do you now? So it was the yard of Eden? It was the yard of Gethsemane? Oh, no. Let's be biblical. Garden. Garden's a place, not just of fruit and vegetables, but it's a place of flowers and fragrance and scent. Sometimes interesting scents. I texted Anne yesterday, or this morning, WhatsApped her, and she said, oh, I'm a bit achy today. I said, why is that? I've been manuring our garden all day. <laughs> Not personally, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but she went and bought manure, and, and, and she manured the garden, because she knows that as you, as you she, Anne always says it takes time to build a garden. It takes effort to plant seeds and to water them and to see them and to put nutrients, to put manure in, to, to put time and effort. And I feel God would say, don't rush your relationship with God. Build a garden for him. Produce a beautiful garden. I once heard a man, a Chinese man called George Chen speak. He'd been 18 years in a 
Chinese labour camp, and I heard him speak in Brighton one time, and he said this, he, because of his faith, had been sentenced to being on your own. What's it called when you're on your own? In solitary confinement, thanks Debbie. Solitary confinement. He'd been sentenced to solitary confinement, and the job they gave him was to shovel the cesspit. Do you know what a cesspit is? Say no more. So he's shoveling this cesspit, on his own, and this is his actual words, I wrote them down. I had wonderful fellowship with our Lord. No one has known such joy. The cesspit became my private garden. <laughs> Listen, he can turn brokenness into armour. He can turn cesspits into beautiful gardens. But it's about resting. It's about taking time to spend with him. Now, not out of legalism, Remember my friend John, you must wash, you must do this, you must do that. No, it's the love of God that causes us to obey him. It's love for him. It's devotion, not duty. Oh, I'll have my quiet time. Wish I was watching the, the match. Wish I was out. Doing. No, I'm delighting. I'm sitting. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you guys have been looking at spiritual formation because this is what it's all about. It's about stopping, it's about resting, it's about hearing, it's about growing, and then it's getting up and doing. It's not just sitting in the garden all day, but out of the garden, ministering. Out of the grace of God, ministering. Ministering out of grace, ministering out of the power of the Spirit, not the power of the flesh. Ministering out of the power of the Word, not the power of good ideas. Ladies' paperback, ladies' ideas from our friends down south. No, it's about ministering out of knowing him. All these wonderful inheritance, all these wonderful riches coming out of knowing Jesus. Be still and know that I'm God. Build your garden of devotion, both privately and together. You're building a park in the center of the town, in the center of the city. You're building a beautiful garden that people will come in. People out there, are fren they're frenetic, they're busy. They're wrapped up in their own world. They need to come to him, come to Jesus and have rest. So let Christ Central Fredericton be a beautiful garden. Let it be a garden city. Let it be an oasis where people come in and find the presence of God. They find him. And if you are all individually planting your seeds, watering them, resting, when you come together, you'll be a beautiful garden together. You'll be this beautiful orchard. You'll be this beautiful yard. You'll be this beautiful fragrance. And people will come and enjoy fruit and fruitfulness. And you won't even have to try because the presence of the Lord is doing it. God's with you and he's doing this. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened. I pray you might know him and you might see, have revelation and that you might have, receive the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of revelation. I think we're just going to spend the last five minutes just worshipping him, if that's all right with you. I think the only response to this kind of message is to worship, is to worship Jesus. I've loved how Christ-centered our worship's been so far and I think we just need to worship him. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everything you're doing 
in Christ Central Fredericton. I thank you for all you've been speaking about. And I pray, Lord, that the eyes of our hearts might be open, that we might see you more clearly, Lord Jesus. Open our eyes, Jesus. We want to see you. We want to, like John, glimpse you with radiant clothes and eyes of blazing fire. We pray, Lord, that you'd open your word to us, Lord. Pray that your word would live. Let it be a love letter. Speak words of love and empowerment to us. And Lord, fill us with the Spirit. Let this be a well-watered garden. Let this not be a dry desert, but let it be a garden flourishing in the Spirit. Let the Spirit flow. Let the river flow, Lord. Let the garden city come alive. And Lord, I'm praying that multitudes would find you in the garden. Multitudes would find your presence here, Lord. Because we say, if your presence isn't with us, Lord, we don't want to do it. It's your presence. It's you, Lord. We hunger for and we thirst for in Jesus' name. Let's worship him.